Okay, if you did not get the handout on your way in, you need to get your hand up because the cross-references are not gonna be on the screen, they're in the, they're in the handout. Uh, we're talking about comms. And in, in our consideration of this topic, the first, the first uh, commandment for our communication last week was thou shalt not lie, don't lie. Lying is bad. Last week we looked at the problems of lying and the first thing that we saw is that lying messes with your brain, right? It rewires your brain to the point that lying gets easy and compulsive. Uh, it just gets easier to lie than to tell the truth. Man, you don't want that. You don't, you don't want that kind of brain damage. And then, then on top of that, lying takes a lot of work. I mean, if you're gonna be good at lying, you gotta, I mean, you gotta, you told your lie, but then you gotta tell more lies to prop up that other lie, and, and then you, you forget what you lied about, and you start losing track, and pretty soon, uh, nobody knows what to make of anything that you're saying because you're lying all the time. And so, and then we saw the, the, the big point here is that God hates lying because it puts us in league with the devil. John 8, 44, right? He's a liar from the beginning. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are abomination to the Lord. And so that's not you, right? Um, it's the sin of lying. I mean, we read Revelation, right? All liars have their place in hell. And, 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 and so that's not you anymore. You're in Christ, right? So you wanna put on the new man. And this is where we finished up last time. Colossians chapter three, verse eight says, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Uh, you gotta come to the place where Christ is all and in all. Okay, so last week we looked at the problems of lying. This week let's consider the, you know, just the, the, the various permutations of lying. Uh, so let's talk about different forms of lying. And, and so the first point for study is not keeping your promises. That's a form of lying, isn't it? You make a commitment, you give your word, and then you go back on it. You don't follow through. Watch this, Leviticus 19.11. You shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Um, you know, you, what, 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 what you promise to another, you have to perform. And I can't come up with a greater illustration of that uh, than your marriage vows. Whenever you got married, you're like, I'm not married. Well, hope springs eternal, stay at it. <laughs> you'll, you'll get there. Um, your marriage vows were a covenant, right? They, 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 they were required for you to enter into a covenant relationship with your spouse and God. A minister of the gospel pronounced you man and wife introduced you as husband and wife because you gave vows that were based on the biblical responsibilities and requirements in marriage. And that's what vows are, biblical, you know, if the, if the marriage vows are biblical, they're based on what the Bible instructs, 
right? The Bible's instructions, what the Bible describes in terms of privileges and responsibilities for the marriage partners. Uh, I've seen, I, I, I was this last year I was at a, at a wedding where the couple wrote their own vows and, and it was time for the husband-to-be to give his vows and I, to this day I don't know what he was talking about. Um, he's, you know, in the beginning when the gods made us male and female and androgynous, you know, we were all paired and, uh, no, unbelievable. We were all paired and, and just too powerful and so the gods broke us up at birth and, and he's just going on and on telling this deist, bizarre fantasy and it's like, bro, you didn't actually vow one thing toward your wife. Like, what in the world? No, the vows are based on what the Bible instructs for marriage, the privileges described in marriage and the responsibilities. And so I just, you know, I want to walk you through them, but I need a partner to help me do it. So Cheryl, can you come on up? This is, this is my bride. What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you a runaway bride? Oh, man, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, okay, that's good. But now you need to give it to your, 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 your best woman, your maid of honor, okay. Because we always hold hands when it's time for the- They can't see that anyway. Huh, well, we'll hold them up. So I just put the ring on the, right? Okay. Okay, so here it is. I, Sam, take thee, Cheryl, to be my wedded wife. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. Well, we've had some of those times, haven't we? <laughs> for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And with this symbol, I put the ring, yeah, I gave you that, okay. With this symbol, I thee wed and pledge you my faithfulness in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Okay, that is a biblical set of vows that a typical, if he's informed, minister of the gospel will require of both candidates for a marriage relationship. Okay, so now let's think through this. Does divorce keep any of those vows? It got tough. You got frustrated with your spouse, you walked out. Does divorce keep the vow? to have and to hold from this day forward? Does divorce say you're in it for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health? Does divorce love and cherish till death part? No, it is the breaking of those vows, isn't it? That's what divorce is. Divorce is the breaking of those vows and the thing that people miss to top everything off, when you get married, the minister binds you, they pronounce you man and wife so this is the way it would go. Cheryl and I got married and then the, 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 the pastor ends the marriage ceremony with this statement. And now for as much as this man and this woman have consented together to holy wedlock and have witnessed that consent before God and this company and have pledged their faith to each other with the joining of hands and by the giving and receiving of a ring, by the power vested in me by the state of Missouri and as a minister of the gospel, I pronounce you man and wife in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. They're pronounced man and wife in the name of the triune God. 
What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And then one of the greatest things I ever heard was when my pastor told me, you may now kiss the bride. <laughs> right? Oh. Okay. And then he said, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. Sam Miles. There's a change of name, okay? Don't go anywhere just yet. So, now we are, we're, we're in a covenant relationship with one another and with the Lord. We do that in front of witnesses. We do that in front of our, our, our friends, our family, and the bride of Christ in our location. See, marriage promises, right, biblical vows are required in order to enter into the covenant of marriage before the Lord. So you have to follow through, you gotta follow through. Cheryl has never kicked me to the curb, praise the Lord. You have to follow through. Matthew chapter five, verse 33 says, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. You will perform unto the Lord your oaths. I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither swear thou by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever more than these cometh of evil. So man, I let my communication be yea. I'm taking her to be my wife, and we're now 30, one? One? 31 years into it. 31 years into it. There were times where I prayed, and I know Cheryl prayed, for the sweet release of death. <laughs> but let me tell you, I'll be dead before I don't keep my vows. So help me God, by his grace, I will be dead before I don't keep, his vow, keep those vows. You know, so on top of the fact that you've entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord, breaking your vows makes you a liar. Breaking your vows makes you a liar. And then on top of that, breaking your vows is something that God hates. He hates it. Okay, so when we're talking, now we're gonna talk about divorce, so I need you to step off the stage and I don't want it to be associated with us being together. (laughs) Divorce. You won't say the D word. That was clever, that was good. Okay. I got a good one, praise the Lord. God hates it. Now there are biblical grounds for divorce. Um, We talk about this in some depth in pastoral procedures in LFBI, we'll we'll talk about it in the biblical counseling course. Um, Biblically, what it boils down to is adultery, abuse, or abandonment. Those are the, the biblical grounds for divorce, but they're never, even those things are not mandates for divorce. And no matter what, God hates it when it happens. Malachi chapter two, this ye have done again, verse 13, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore. He's just sick of your performance. Or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet you say, wherefore, why? Why isn't the Lord impressed with our overtures? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. 
He saw you lie. The Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet she is thy companion and the wife, there it is, the wife of thy covenant. You broke a covenant relationship with your spouse, a covenant relationship before the Lord. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the spirit and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. And so here's the key. This is everything. Brother, sister, don't be a liar. How do I keep from, how do I keep from being, therefore take heed to your spirit. Take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Putting away is the, the phrase for divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. You made promises. Take heed to your spirit that you not break them, that you, that, that, that you don't break them. You know what you do if you don't take heed here? If you don't take heed to your spirit, Satan will make sure that you see your spouse's flaws. He'll make sure you see the reasons why you'd be better off without them. And then, you know, he will bring you to the place where you will allow yourself to see your spouse as not fulfilling your expectations. And you'll equate that with them not keeping their vows or something. Right? You'll get, you'll get warped in your perception of your spouse. And then you justify breaking your word. You want to feel like, Satan will bring you to the place where you'll feel like their failure justifies your own. Take heed to your spirit. Don't fall for that. Keep your word. Get this down in your notes. The failures of others do not provide justification for you to break your word. Did you get that? Other people dropping the ball, whatever that looks like, that's not justification for you to go back on your word. Remember, we saw this in our first uh, uh, message in this series. God holds you accountable over every single word that you say. Every word, you're accountable for it. Matthew 12, 36, I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Uh, I tell the pastors and the elders, I try to say it regularly. Uh, you know, to have and to hold, forsaking all others, you know. Everybody sees it. There's so many pastors that don't have character and uh, they don't keep their marriage vows. They end up in adulterous relationships and, and they stand up in front of the church and praise the Lord for the guys that own it and repent and, and move forward in faith again. But the, the fallout, the damage is catastrophic. And they're up blubbering, saying they're sorry, asking their family's forgiveness, the church family's forgiveness. and. And then Satan uses that as justification for a bunch of people who had one foot in the world anyway to just walk out on their faith and go live like a lost person. Um, it'd be better, it'd be better that everybody at MBT was weeping because I got run over 
right? Or had a heart attack, you know, it's a widow maker. It'd be better to be weeping over that than to be weeping because I couldn't keep my vows. Man, God, take me home. Save me, keep me from evil. Does this make sense? It's like the guys that are preaching about the word of God forget that he's the living God and he sees everything. He's watching everything. He's listening to every single word and you're gonna give an account. Uh, you know, I know for a fact when I get to the judgment seat of Christ, my rep won't be that I was a perfect husband. Um, but let me tell you something. Um, I did a few things right. When I got married, um, just by the grace of God, God wasn't super smart back then, um, by the grace of God, I was a virgin. Cheryl and I were both virgins when we got married. We're the only people that we've ever been with. Uh, I wouldn't even know, like I can't even get my head around any physical relationship outside of the one that I have with Cheryl. And uh, you know, stereotypically, and this is probably TMI. Stereotypically, in the in the beginning of our relationship, I wanted it to be more physical, right? Um, that you know, a lot of guys get frustrated. Let me tell you, <laughs> you make your own messes. Um, you know. The, the approach that I took to social relationships because I was biblically ignorant was I'm a Christian, I have to be a virgin when I get married. So I'm gonna keep my pants on. But you know, sucking face is a lot of fun. And you know, why wouldn't I steam up a few windows? And so I'd make out with my girlfriends and, and, and you know, you get hot and bothered and and that becomes frustrating and so that doesn't work and, and you end up breaking off the relationship or whatever and, and uh, the problem is is that then you turn around and you reap what you've sown. Um, I tell young men, they enter into social relationships, if you wanna have a, a happy sex life, then you guard, you guard this woman's purity with your life, you guard her purity. Because if you don't, you're gonna reap that in your marriage. You guard her purity like your life depends on it. You want her going to bed at night saying, God, I can't wait to marry this man. You want, you want, this, you want your fiance going to bed at night saying, Father, please hasten the day of my marriage. I can't wait to give myself to this guy. You want her to be able to unabashedly have that kind of conversation with the Lord. But if night after night she's going, to, she's going home and she's going to bed and she's apologizing to the Father over the time that she spent with you, I'm telling you classical conditioning is a thing. It happens and now what's happening is that she's equating physical intimacy with you with a rupture in her fellowship with God. She's apologizing to God over her behavior with you. Guys have the sex, I mean, the, the, the sex drive for a guy is a little different than it is for a woman and, and um, he's generating product that his body wants to ship and, and he can be upset 
for, you know, this crossed the line and I feel really bad about it for about three days. And then he's right back where he was. And so, you know, the guy gets over, he's like, I don't understand what happened. We got married and it was like, it was like the greatest thing ever. We were having a wonderful time and now all of a sudden she can't stand the sight of me. I don't know what went wrong. I'll tell you what went wrong. You didn't protect her purity. Does this make sense? You conditioned her to associate physical intimacy with you with sin before the Lord. You, you, you trained her in that. Man, take heed. Take heed. Okay, let's change subjects. What about our word toward others in social relationships before, married, before marriage? What about that? Man, don't lie or defraud in your social relationships. Don't be a perpetrator. Don't be a liar. Baby, baby, I love you. If you love me, you would. Let me tell you, if you're trying to get in the pants of anyone that's not your spouse, you're a liar. I love you, liar. Because biblically, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse five, love, biblically love, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. So no liar, you love your flesh, you're using them for your own satisfaction in the flesh. So the sub-commandment here, we're talking about to, to thou shalt not lie, is keep your commitments, keep your promises, keep, keep your covenants, let your yay be yay. Uh, on, that, on that front, let your word to your brethren be paramount. Don't overpromise <laughs> to your brothers and sisters, right? Come through on your promises. Next, exaggeration is a form of lying. Exaggeration is a form of lying, and everybody does it on some level. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. Everybody does it on some level, why? Well, first of all, it's fun, right? Exaggeration is fun. I caught a fish and it was this big. And if I tell the same story tomorrow, I caught a fish and it was this big. And if I tell the same story next week, it's I caught a fish and it's this big. I mean, you know, just these things grow. It's fun to exaggerate, it's entertaining. Adding elements and exaggerations to a story can increase the entertainment value of the story. And it's just a form of lying. Sometimes we exaggerate in order to make a point or a joke. You wanna be careful with that. Let's make sure that we're being careful with our words. The worst kind of exaggeration is the accusation exaggeration. You always, and then whatever the offense is. You always, you know, you, you always lie. You always lie. Oh, man, this is exaggeration. You always forget me. You always say the hurtful thing. You're always trying to hurt me. That's an exaggeration. That's an accusation. But let me talk to you about the most common kind of exaggeration, and that's self-boasting. One-upmanship. Like somebody's talking, somebody's communicating something, and then you just kind of have to trumpet. Uh, I have to show this again because it's so good. Hopefully YouTube will keep it going on the live stream because it's fair use. I'm, I'm showing you this Brian Regan clip in order to, to illustrate this point. He actually, he's hitting several nails on the head with this bit. And so, uh, guys, just let me uh, pass it over to uh, philosopher Brian Regan. Let's play the video. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know 
one guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, 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 me. Beware the me monster. So I tried to jump in with a little story. I don't want to just sit there the whole night. Right when I'm done with my story, this guy goes, that ain't nothing. (laughs) Didn't mean to waste everybody's time. (laughs) Telling my nothing story. Here, let Marco Polo speak. He's back with tales of adventure. story ain't nothing. Maybe it wasn't, because I made the mistake of trying to tell a story about having only two wisdom teeth pulled, and I learned a lesson. Don't ever try to tell a two wisdom tooth story, because you ain't going nowhere. Before wisdom teeth, people are going to parachute in and cut you off at the pass. Halt! Halt with your two wisdom tooth tail! You will never complete one, trust me. I'm trying to tell my story. You know, I had some wisdom teeth pulled. I had, um, I had two, I had four pulled. Oh, okay. No, five, no, nine. I had nine wisdom teeth pulled. All of mine were impacted. They were all coming upside down. The roots are up on my tongue, coming out my nose. They were tusks. I was a warthog. No anesthesia. They pulled him out with pliers. I was eating corn on the cob that afternoon. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. That knocks the socks off of my wisdom tooth tail. Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition people get something out of that? That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster, is doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Oh, really? <laughs> Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check. You know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich. You know, I got a Swiss account that I want to check it. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition. Might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. The, you know, you the Pacific Rim Company going to try to take that over. Global enterprise.
walked on the moon. Well, you have the floor, Moonwalker. <laughs> you know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the Sea of Tranquility. <laughs> in my Lunar Rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, why? we're the only ones on the moon. <laughs> You guys are great. Thank you very much. Uh, it's, you know, ex- one-upmanship. Exaggerating to make yourself bigger. Okay, why? Why do people do that? Well, it's personal pride. So get this down. Personal pride lies. It just lies. We exaggerate over personal pride, plain and simple. Psalms 59, 7 says, For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lip, Let them even be taken in their pride. Fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in the evil way. So beware, right? Be careful. Uh, you, you, you You don't have to be in the business of impressing people through blowing, you know, through blowing up your resume. Uh, Get this down. Exaggerating does. Does your rep- I mean, it, it actually damages your reputation. Exaggerating does your reputation damage. And I think this is one of the things that we're all tempted to, to, to engage in, you know? People are talking, it's an interesting conversation, we wanna be in the know, we wanna contribute to the conversation. Brother, sister, you don't have to speak if you don't know. Don't make up stuff to sound smart, knowledgeable, or important. I don't know is a really good answer in some situations. When you're in a stressful situation, stop and think about what you're gonna say before you say it. Don't just run your mouth, stop and think. Okay, do I have something that contributes? Or am I making up data to impress my friends? You don't have to answer to feel silence. A lot of times people lie to feel safe. You know, uh, man, what is true? Embrace that, say that. If saying the truth isn't wise for some reason, then just simply refuse to answer. Uh, we might be able to make a case for that being dissimulation and it's blind by omission, but that's better than sticking your foot in your mouth. I'll give you an example. Do you think this, honey, do you think this dress makes me look fat? Man, if there was ever a time to lie, I mean, if you're smart, you know that you don't say yes, it makes you look, okay, so what do you do? I, the Lord give you wisdom. <laughs> but but I, I tell you what I would say in that situation, if there was a dress that was not flattering, I'd say, you know, honey, you look better in the blue dress. I like it when you, ble- I like it when you wear that blue outfit. Uh, you look really good in that. Well, that's a more tactful, that's a more, that's a more nuanced route. You can be diplomatic and, and, and actually accurate in your communication without being deceptive. Here's another area that's, that's a derivative of lying. Speech that mislabels what is actually true as a form of lying. I'll give you an example. I'm struggling with my emotions over school. 
I'm, I'm really struggling with my emotions over school versus naming the sin. I'm basically lazy and cheating in my LFBI class. Like, oh, I'm, I'm struggling with my emotions in school. Well, you're mislabeling what's going on. Omission of key facts, critical details to in order to misrepresent what is really true. Dissimulating is a big issue, concealing the truth. It promotes personal hypocrisy. I mean, you want people to accept you and, and, and they're actually on your case about something and, and so you dissimulate, you hide the truth. You don't tell the whole, the needful truth. In Galatians chapter two, here's an example where Peter's feeling pressure from the religious Jews and, and so he began to dissimulate. Paul, uh, he, he confronted him about it. Galatians 2.11, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, uh, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Well, of course I wouldn't eat with Gentiles. Yeah, no, that's not true, Peter. You were eating bacon sandwiches with them yesterday. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. Oh, we don't eat with those people. They wanted to look that way. Right, the religious Jews are there, well, we're eating with you. Now come on over and have a pork sandwich, what are you talking about? No, you know, dissimulating. Here's the last area tonight that we wanna avoid lying at all costs. We don't wanna lie on God's word. Don't be guilty of lying on God's word. Proverbs 30 verse five says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Romans 3, 4, God forbid. Let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Man, don't lie on the word of God. You will be found a liar. At the end of the day, you just want to side with truth. That's what keeps us safe. Uh, side with the truth, speak truth in love. John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus, he said, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Man, that's what I want. I wanna be free in the truth. I wanna be free in God's truth. I don't wanna be bound by my lies. Can I pray for you before we dismiss? We're out of time now. And um, I just would encourage you, go back over your notes um, prayerfully, carefully. Ask the, just ask the Lord. God, search me, try me. Is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything in here in, in my communication that's grieving your Holy Spirit? And then just agree with God over it. And then start moving forward in faith. Start moving forward in the truth. Father, I... I do ask for your blessing on my brothers and sisters. And Lord, uh, we're tempted to exaggerate. We're, we're, we're tempted to paint a picture that's not really true. And, and whether it's through pride, we wanna make ourselves look better. Uh, through shame, we wanna hide things. Uh, whatever it is, Lord, um, I pray that we'd, we'd all recognize that we've found acceptance by you and the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work at Calvary. You love us. Uh, you, just as we were, uh, you loved us and you saved us. We're all sinners saved by your grace and, and, and Lord, we're, we're thankful for that. God, help us to recognize that we're accepted in the beloved. 
help us to be, you know, we want to have hearts that are fervent to be God pleasers. We want to please you, not men. Deliver us from man pleasing. Deliver us from fronting, from trying to make of ourselves something that we're not. Help us to be genuine. Help us to be real. Help us to be authentic people uh, that, you know, that are not fake with one another, uh, but are, are just speaking truth and love, being ourselves. And then, Lord, increase our capacity as a local church to have grace for one another, uh, to accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members indeed. Help us to be a people that, that recognize that we're all works in progress. We're all people that, that you're conforming to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've not arrived yet. And then, Lord, help us to remember we know no man after the flesh. When we see the flaws, when we see the errors, uh, we recognize that's not who they really are. Who they are in Christ, that's the reality. And to root for that and to pray for that and to, and to edify and encourage people to, to follow in that. Lord, bless us in our communication. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.